0: CHAPTER 25 OF UP THE RIVER BY OLIVER Optic. SAILING ACROSS THE FIELDS THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING I was appalled at the terrible sight. It was an open country and there were few trees to be seen, except around the houses at the plantations. It looked like an inland sea. "'I saw the two men struggling in the water at some distance from the levee. "'They were evidently trying to touch bottom with their feet, "'but the water was over their heads. "'How deep is the water on that flat, Mr. Pilot?' I asked, "'not a little excited at the idea of witnessing such a loss of life as he had predicted. "'I should say it's uh, from eight to ten feet deep all the way to those plantations,' he replied. "'Why don't one of the steamers waiting here go over to the assistance of those poor people?' I inquired. "'They can't get through, and they would be swamped if they should try it. "'The breach is not more than thirty feet wide, and these boats would stick till they were torn to pieces. "'They are so low in the water that it would put their fires out when they went through and fill their holes.' I looked about the decks of both our steamers and found that all the passengers were on board of the Islander. I told Ben Bowman, who was on duty in the engine room, to put on all the steam she could safely carry. He assured me he had enough for anything. "'Look out, Captain Blasblow, if you please, for I'm going to cast off,' I called to the Islander. "'Keep the ladies in a safe place, all the Sylvanias on board.' I went into the pilot house and rang to back the steamer. I kept her moving until we were in the middle of the river. I had carefully examined the crevasse, and I judged that the water was not more than two feet lower on the flat than it was in the river. "'How deep is the water in the cut, Mr. Pilot?' I asked. "'Not less than eight feet, and it may be ten. You can't tell.' I stopped the Sylvania and rang to go ahead at full speed. "'Are you going through the crevasse?' demanded the pilot. "'I see no difficulty in doing so. "'Mr. Washburn, see that every opening in the deck and deck house is closed and securely fastened.' "'It will be a ticklish business to go through that breach,' said the pilot, shaking his head." Would you let a hundred people drown without doing anything to save them? I asked. Not if I could help it. I'm willing to do all I can, but I shouldn't wonder if your boat made a dive into the mud on the other side of the levee and stuck there. If she does, we have two light boats at the Davits, I replied. The Sylvania soon got up her best speed, and the pilot steered the steamer for a point just above the crevasse. I closed the windows of the pilot house and directed all hands to go on the hurricane deck except the engineers and firemen. "'I think we ought to stop the engine, for she will go through quick enough without any help,' suggested the pilot. "'We must have steerage way, or we can do nothing,' I replied with quick tones, for we were within a few fathoms of the whirl of waters that were dashing through the crevasse. I felt the speed of the steamer increasing, and I firmly grasped the wheel with the pilot. "'You know this boat better than I do, and this business is a little out of my line, but I will help you all I can,' said the pilot, who seemed to be fully self-possessed, though he was not used to handling a vessel like the Sylvania. Washburn came into the pilot-house after seeing that all the openings were closed and the ship's company disposed in safe places.' i don't think you will have any trouble going through there Alec said the mate i don't know as you will but i wouldn't take a river boat through such a place unless she was insured for her full value added the pilot no more talking if you please i added we had entered the rapid current that swept into the crevasse it was a thrilling moment for the next minute would determine whether the sylvania was to be swamped or not but i had a reasonable degree of confidence in the vessel she had always done all i expected of her and i could hardly conceive of her disappointing me in this instance the people assembled on the levee uttered a long and deep shout of warning to us but we had gone too far to recede even if we had been disposed to do so I saw the two men who had been swamped in the small boat still buoying themselves up with the oars, and beyond them the houses tottering over as they were undermined by the rising waters. The sight of these was quite enough to keep my courage up, and no thought of doing anything but trying to save those who must perish without assistance came to my mind. The little steamer rushed madly into the opening, with her screw turning at its most rapid rate. When she had reached the fall, she made a tremendous dive, as it were, burying her bowsprit in the muddy tide. Tons of the yellow fluid loaded with sediment flowed in on the forecastle and swept aft. I judge by the shock that she struck her forefoot into the earth. The muddy water swashed up and entirely covered the windows of the pilot house, leaving enough of the soil to make the glass as opaque as the levee itself. We could not see a thing outside after this volume of mud was discharged upon the windows, but in another instant I felt the bow of the steamer rising. The screw was still shaking the vessel and I felt that no great injury had been done to her. "'Open the windows if you please, Washburn,' I said, trying to keep as cool as possible. "'We're all right now,' added the pilot. One of our river steamers would never have come up after that dive i rang the speed bell as soon as i felt that we were fairly through the cut in the levee a yell from the people assured us that we were all right if we did not find it out before i suppose you are not a pilot in these waters i continued turning to mr bell for that was his name well hardly in these waters at any rate i never took a steamboat over this ground before But I reckon I can do it as well as any other man, for I was raised along here, and I know the lay of this land as well as the water, replied the pilot. The escape of steam from the safety valve showed me that the engineers had slowed down, though I could not yet perceive it in the motion of the vessel. We were approaching the two men on the oars, and I rang to stop and back her. There was no difficulty in steering the steamer after we were out of the swiftest of the current and I left the pilot house. The Sylvania looked as though she had been buried in yellow mud for a year and we had just been dug out. The water had all passed out at the scupper holes and swinging ports, but the deck and a considerable portion of the deck house were covered with the mud from the water. All hands except the chief engineer and one fireman had come out of the hiding places and were ready for duty. Clear away the starboard quarter boat, I called. Mr. Washburn, you will pick up those men and do it as quickly as possible, for we are needed at those plantations. The crew got into the boat and lowered it into the water. In a moment more they were pulling with all their might for the two men who were some distance apart. They picked them up one at a time and came back to the Sylvania. They hooked on the falls and with the help of Ben Bowman and Hop Tosford hoisted the boat up to the davits. The two men rescued from the water seemed to be very much exhausted and we helped them on the deck. The moment the boat was out of the water, I rang to go ahead and told Moses to let her run at half-speed, for I was afraid she might strike against some hummock or other obstruction and stick in the mud, which would cause a delay, if nothing worse. I sent Buck to the top gallant forecastle with a hand-lid, and he reported eleven feet. The ground is low here, said the pilot, but I think we can carry eight feet up to the knoll on which the houses stood. They must have had eight or nine in some parts of it, or the cabin of the niggers would have been upset. I think we can hurry her a little along here, I replied, ringing the speed bell. By the Mark Twain, said Buck. He threw the lead into a hole that time, added the pilot. And a half one, continued Buck. You will hold that all the way till you get to the knoll, said Mr. Bell. We are going at a rattling speed. "'We shall be all right as long as we have eight feet. "'Our coal bunkers are pretty well emptied, "'and I don't know, but we could go with seven and a half. "'It's plain sailing, but we must feel along "'when it gets down to eight and a half,' I replied. "'The two men who had been taken from the water "'came to the forecastle at this moment. "'They were covered with yellow mud, "'and of course they were wet to the skin, "'but it was a hot day and the sun was shining brightly.' When I asked them, they told me they had come from one of the steamers that had stopped at the levee to render assistance. Eight and a half feet shouted Buck. I rang the speed bell which soon reduced our rate one half. Buck still reported eight and a half. We were then a hundred yards of the mansion houses, of which I could see four, the lower parts which were under the water. We could see the inmates in the second stories. "'But the negro cabins were upset, and many of them were floating about. "'It was evident enough that they had been built on lower ground than the residences of the planters. "'The knoll was covered with shade trees and shrubs, "'and the estates were as beautiful as anything I ever looked upon, "'that is, what I could see of them above the water. Eight feet!' shouted the leadsman with energy. I rang to stop her, for I could feel a sort of sensation as though the keel of the Sylvania was making a furrow in the field under us. The steamer stopped almost as soon as I rang the bell, but as the water was rising instead of falling, I did not feel at all concerned about her situation. I immediately ordered both boats to be lowered-Ben and Hop went off in one, and Buck and Landy in the other not far from the knoll which could not have been more than three or four feet above the flat over which we had been sailing i saw the boat the two men from the steamer had been swamped in i told buck to tow it to the steamer and we had it alongside in a few minutes i sent the quarter boat back to the rescue of the people in the houses and cabins the river steamers boat was full of water We drew her under the davits on the port side, made fast to her, and hauled her out of the water, hoisting the bow in first so that the water could run out of her. When both ends were abreast of the rail of the vessel, we tipped her over and entirely freed her of water. I sent Washburn and Dyer Perkins in her to assist the two other boats. Even at this important hour, the abominably dirty condition of the Sylvania, which had been bathed in mud, actually pained me. Away from the furious current of the crevasse, the mud settled and the water was comparatively clean. Cobbington and the two waiters had been at work swabbing the quarter deck, but with no good result. I directed the engineer to rig the fire engine, and we soon drowned the decks with water. This, with the swabs, made clean work. By the time the first boat came off from the knoll, the Sylvania looked nearly as neat as when she had left the great river. The hot sun dried the planks about as soon as they were swabbed. In the port boat, under the direction of Ben Bowman, was a family of four persons whom I took to be the occupants of one of the mansions. A gentleman and his wife, with a son and a daughter, were the first helped out on board. Nearly all the others were Negroes. I showed the white people down into the cabin and directed Cobbin to do all he could for their comfort. In the course of half an hour we had seventy-two persons whom we'd rescued. We were unable to find any more. The three boats had searched every house which could contain a human being. They had taken men, women, and children from the trees as well as the houses. We sounded the whistle vigorously and then waited for any call. There were no more, and I directed the pilot to work back to the levee. End of chapter